Hundreds of years before Jesus was born, prophets foretold the coming of the Messiah, or the Anointed One, who would redeem God's people. In effect, dozens of these Old Testament prophecies created a fingerprint that only the true Messiah could fit. This gave Israel a way to rule out imposters and validate the credentials of the authentic Messiah. This week on Connecting the Gap, we're going to continue our study on prophecies of the Bible, and we're going to get into that right after this. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Connecting the Gap. I'm Daniel Moore, your host. Thank you for joining me once again this week. You can go to our website, connectingthegap.net, and I have all my podcasts there, also my weekly blog. You can subscribe to both of those, and my podcast is on many, many different platforms. It's also on YouTube. Go to youtube.com, and that link is also on my website as well, and you can subscribe to there. And I've also got other Bible studies and different kinds of things on the YouTube channel that I actually don't have on my podcast channel. So you can kind of scroll through all of that, some previous studies over the last couple of years, and much more here from Connecting the Gap. Again, I'm Daniel Moore. Thank you for coming by this week as we continue to dig deeper into God's Word as we are studying prophecies of the Bible. This is based on a study by Damon Duck, and we have reached prophecies of the book of history in the Bible. So we're going to go ahead and dive right into this as we trudge our way towards the end of the Bible to Revelation. We've got lots more to talk about, though, before we get to then. As I said, this week is the books of history. We're going to be starting with 1 Samuel, the second division of the Old Testament, beginning with the book of Joshua and ending with the book of Esther, contains 12 books chronicling the history of Israel. The 12 books do not appear in chronological order in the Bible, so we're not going to be talking about those in chronological order here either as I go through these next few books of the Bible as we study the books of history. Also, it should be noted that only four of the books contain prophecies of interest to the study that we're doing right now. So we're only going to be touching on those four different books as we go through today's podcast. The first one we're starting with is 1 Samuel. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 10, there is a prophecy about a Messiah and king. It says, The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven he will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Here in the first book of Samuel, it begins with a barren woman named Hannah praying for a child. When her prayer is answered a few months later, she names her newborn son Samuel. When he is old enough to be weaned, Hannah takes Samuel to the Lord's house at Shiloh and presents him to Eli the priest for a life of service to God. She begins to pray and ends her prayer with this verse. He, or God, will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. The word anointed is translated Messiah in Hebrew and Christos in Greek. This is the first use of the word Messiah in the Bible. Hannah rejoices because God's enemies will be shattered. He will move against them from heaven. He will empower his king and exalt his Messiah. God will set up a kingdom, and his Messiah and king will rule over it. This prophecy will be fulfilled at the second coming of Christ. The Old Testament Jews anointed people for two positions. 
The first position was the priest. The second position was king. Jesus was anointed to fill both of those roles. He is the believer's high priest, as you can read about in Hebrews 4.14 and Hebrews 5.5. And he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, as you can read about that, Revelation chapter 19, verse 16. As we move on to 2 Samuel, there's a prophecy located there as well. This is God's covenant with David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 4 through 17, at a time of peace in Israel, King David wanted to build a house for God. But before he got started, God sent Nathan the prophet to remind David that it was God who made him great. God promised through Nathan to make David's name great, to provide a place for Israel, to provide a house for David, to raise up one of David's offspring, a son named Solomon, to succeed him, and to let Solomon build God's house to establish Solomon's throne forever, to punish Solomon's sin, but never stop loving him, and to establish David's house, kingdom, and his throne forever. God's covenant with King David is usually called the Davidic Covenant. It contains seven promises that God made to David. Number one, God said that David's name will be revered. Number two, David's people will have a land forever. Number three, David's house will exist forever. Number four, David's son will succeed him. Number five, David's son will build God's house. Number six, David's son will be punished for his sins. And number seven, David's kingdom and will last forever. Henry H. Halley was quoted, Here in the seventh chapter of Second Samuel begins the long line of promises that David's family should reign forever over God's people. That is, there should come from David an eternal family line of kings, culminating in one eternal king. John F. Walvoord said, In these promises, God has made clear that the Davidic covenant is not subject to human conditions and that God has vowed on the basis of his own trustworthiness that he will fulfill the covenant. It is also clear that the promise was given to David, not to someone else, though it will be fulfilled by Christ as the descendant of David, and that the fulfillment relates to the people of God, in this context, the people of Israel. So King Solomon did go on to build the first temple, and the Babylonians destroyed it. The Jews rebuilt it, and the Romans destroyed it. Several prophecies teach that it will be rebuilt again before the second coming of Christ. The destruction of Israel and Judah does not cancel this covenant. God simply removed the family from the throne to await a suitable faithful descendant. Some of King David's descendants survived the destruction of Israel and Judah, and the right to reign passed on through them. Then Jesus was born, and it is through him that the throne of David will be established forever. Throughout the Bible, there are messianic expectations noted, and I'm going to go through some of those right here, uh, where different places that the Bible has mentioned this. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, it says, In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The second expectation that was noted is in Isaiah chapter 2, 2 through 4, All nations shall flow to it. That's talking about the Lord's house in the latter days. The next one in Isaiah 9, verse 6, says, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. On to Daniel chapter 2, verse 35, it says, The stone or Messiah that struck the image became a great mountain or a kingdom and filled the whole earth. 
Zechariah has two instances. In chapter 9, verse 9, Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey. In Zechariah 14, 9, he also predicted the expectation of a Messiah, the Lord shall be king over all the earth. So David became famous in his lifetime, and even today, the Jews revere him as Israel's greatest king. Two cities, Bethlehem and Jerusalem, have become known as the city of David. David's son Solomon succeeded him as king of Israel. He built the first temple, but he also worshipped other gods. Solomon's sin made God very angry. So God allowed Israel to be divided into two nations following Solomon's death. When Jesus was born, his genealogy was traced back to David through both his legal father, Joseph, and his biological mother, Mary. Thus, Jesus is the legal heir to David's throne, and he will sit on the earthly throne of David during the millennium. In 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 3 through 7, it says, The God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds, like the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after the rain. Although my house is not so with God, yet he has made with me the everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For this is all my salvation and all my desire. Will he not make it increase? But the sons of rebellion shall all be as thorns thrust away, because they cannot be taken with hands. But the man who touches them must be armed with iron and the shaft of a spear, and they shall be utterly burned with fire in their place." King David was on his deathbed when God revealed these things to him. God told David that a righteous leader who fears God is like sunshine on a cloudy day. God notices him. Such a leader is also a blessing to others. They will prosper and grow under his reign. David knew that he had not lived up to this. Not many leaders do, very often actually. But he also knew that he was leaving office in a right relationship with God. He had an everlasting covenant that secured his future. Evil leaders cannot make that same claim. They will be cast aside and they will be burned. What are your priorities in life? Are you prioritizing first things first? Do righteous and the fear of God play a part in this? It is a dangerous thing to come to the end of one's life without a right relationship with God. A covenant with God ensures our salvation. God's coming king is both savior and judge. David will be raised from the dead and enjoy God's blessing at the second coming of Christ. The wicked will be raised and cast into the lake of fire after the millennium. This should motivate us to prepare. We will all appear before one of the judgment seats. There will be no way to avoid this. When we get there, we will need a savior, but it will be too late for some people. It is absolutely necessary to resolve this before we stand in his presence. The lake of fire awaits those who do not have a savior. So those were a, a covenant and some promises that were relayed in first and second Samuel. Now we're going to move on to first Kings. In first Kings chapter nine, verse three through nine, it says, and the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your supplication that you have made before me. I have consecrated this house which you have built to put my name there forever, and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Now if you walk before me as your father David walked, in integrity of heart 
and in uprightness, to do according to all that I have commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever. As I promised David your father, saying, You shall not fail to have a man on the throne of Israel, but if you or your sons at all turn from following me, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them, and this house which I have consecrated for my name I will cast out of my sight. Israel will be a proverb and a byword among all people. And as for this house which is exalted, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and will hiss and say, Why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? Then they will answer, Because they forsook the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt, and have embraced other gods, and worshipped them and served them. Therefore the Lord has brought all this calamity on them. Here in 1 Kings, in the fourth year of his reign, King Solomon started construction on the temple. It was completed seven years later. He spent the next 13 years constructing his palace. Then God appeared to Solomon and assured him that he had heard his prayer and they had consecrated the temple or accepted it as a special place and that he had put his name on the temple. He had agreed to let it be called God's house and that his eyes and heart would be at the temple or in other words, God's presence would be there. God added that if Solomon would have uprightness or a desire to live by God's rules and integrity or faithfulness to God of heart and would keep his commandments, that's all of the commandments of God, including the Ten Commandments, the kingdom would be secure and Solomon's descendants would continue to reign. But if Solomon or his descendants turned away from God and if they worshipped idols, God would put Israel off the land, turn us back on the temple, and cause the Jews to be ridiculed in the world. God expects rulers to follow him and to be an example for his people. Unfaithful rulers lead people astray. Straying people will be held responsible for their sins. Being faithful to God brings blessings, but forsaking God brings judgment. God did not say he would cancel his covenant with David over all of this. He said that he would remove those who rejected him from the land. This was a threat to temporarily set the covenant aside. He would reactivate it with a remnant of faithful people at some point in the future. Solomon and his descendants did turn their backs on God, and the nation was divided into a northern kingdom, or Israel, and a southern kingdom, Judah. Eventually, both kingdoms, the temple and Jerusalem, were destroyed, and the Jews have been ridiculed all over the world ever since. Out of 19 kings who ruled in the north, not even one was good in the eyes of God. Out of 20 that ruled in the south, only eight were good according to God's standards. This explains why Judah survived about 136 years longer than Israel, but it also explains why God ultimately allowed his judgment to fall upon the nation. God will bless those who bless him, but he will not for forever protect those who turn his backs on him. We're now going to stop for this week as we have kind of reached our time frame here for this week's podcast. Uh, we've got through First and Second Samuel and First Kings. Uh, we come back next week as we continue our study on prophecies of the Bible. We are going to be going on into First Chronicles as we continue on into the books of history. And uh, hopefully uh, you guys have been able to uh, maybe 
go through some stuff here that you haven't thought about before as you've read God's Word. A lot of times, and even with myself, I'll read through things, and it just doesn't click the first time through. As I go back through later, I see things I didn't see before. That's the Holy Spirit revealing things to us as we study His Word. So as I leave here today, I just want to remind you that you can go to my website at ConnectingTheGap.net, see what my ministry is all about. You can subscribe to my podcast there and also my blog. And uh, this uh, study that we're doing right now is one that I've wanted to do for a long time as we are in the latter days, I truly believe, the end days as the Bible speaks, as things are rapidly coming to a close. There's a lot of things that's going to be coming on the horizon. Jesus is coming back and we all have to be ready for that. And if you read God's word from the very beginning of Genesis all the way through Revelation, he has forewarned us what was going to happen. And as we've been able to see so far with a lot of these prophecies and these covenants that have been put into place, a lot of these things have already happened as the Bible said that they would. So that has to lead us to believe that the ones that have not happened yet, they are going to happen. You can guarantee it. There's no doubt about it. There's no way around it. God will have his day and he will all of us are going to be judged someday before him. So we're going to be continuing on into our study next week. As I said, we'll pick up with First Chronicles as we continue on towards Revelation. It's going to get real interesting as we get towards the end of the Bible, as we have a lot of things that have not taken place yet. And we'll be discussing a lot of that. So again, this is a study based on a study by Damon Duck. Hope you guys have been enjoying this. Go to my website, connectingthegap.net. Subscribe to my podcast, to my blog. Check out my YouTube channel. Also a page there on how to get saved and a contact page if you'd like to contact us here at Connecting the Gap. Well, I'm out of here until next week. Until then, don't forget that God's Word never fails us. God's Word has stood the test of time. And through Jesus' death on the cross, He has connected the gap.